In the late 1990s and early 2000s, I traveled to all kinds of places to go to pastor conferences. I went to Atlanta, Georgia. I went to Chicago. I went to Los Angeles. Uh, and I joined huge auditoriums. I mean, auditoriums that had 10,000 pastors in them. Can you imagine 10,000 pastors in one place? Ooh. Okay. <laughs> and we were all there to learn how to be better leaders. And a strange thing happened. Every flight home, every drive home, I felt gloomy. I just felt gloomy and discouraged. And it's because I would compare myself to the people on stage and I would say, well, golly, I just passed through a small church in little old Nicholasville, Kentucky, and you know, they're doing this big thing. And, and I would say, that, well, maybe I'm just not enough. I don't have a clear enough vision. I don't have a compelling enough strategy. Not enough. And it took me years to recognize that those feelings of not enough had nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was unbelief in my life and an attempt to base my identity in success and achievement. Many of you, even though you're not a pastor, have been down this road, right? <laughs> you, I think it's hard to be a woman. I don't know what that's like, but I know when, if you're a woman in America, it's hard because all these women with their perfect little Instapot meals and their tidy homes and their Pinterest boards, and you look at this stuff and you just feel what? Condemned and not enough. And I don't have to tell you men, you go to, I go to chamber events, you know, it's, there's always a guy who's earning more money than you. There's always a guy who's knocking it out of the park more than you. There's always some guy that goes to the gym every single day. Not me, <laughs> not me. And then you students and you young people, it's one screen after another of everybody's best moments and highlights. And with every swipe of the hand, you just feel condemned. You just feel like not enough, not enough. This way of living is fragile and exhausting. It is. It is. It's not the gospel way. The gospel is the good news of what God has done. God's rescuing humanity. And Jesus says it very clearly here. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. I think to make matters worse, we in America have lost what it means to be born again. We use the word all the time. Born again, got a fresh start. Uh, business was shuttled by a uh, fire, but it's being reborn and reopening in just three weeks. Come get the great biscuits that they serve, right? And it's just part of our language. And I think we've lost the real sense and significance of what it means to be born again. Many of Americans think that it's just this moment in the past where they accepted Jesus into their heart so they can go to heaven when they die. And they spend the rest of their life living a life that is unfulfilled, a life that is languishing, and a life that they just feel not enough. Americans don't get it. They don't. And they're not alone. Nicodemus, Nicodemus didn't get it either. And so I want to teach from you today the passage in John chapter 3, and I want you to see some things that maybe you might have missed along the way in all of the sermons and church services and everything else that you've encountered over 
over your life. And the first thing that I want you to know is that salvation, salvation is not just about getting a ticket to heaven. Salvation is a new and better life now. Salvation is a new and better identity now and later. <laughs> now and later. So I want to read this passage from John chapter 3, and I want to outline just five questions about this new birth, what it means to be born again. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After one dark evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evident that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Humans can only reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you're a respected Jewish teacher, and you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No, no one has ever gone to heaven in return, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on the pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And then the verse most of us know, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. And all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light, so others can see they are doing what God wants. I want to kind of unpack just some things about this new birth. First of all, who's the new birth for? Who's it for? Who's it for? Americans will talk about new birth as though it's for a particular type of Christian. You know, uh, little Davy. Davy went to middle school camp when he was a seventh grader. There was some amazing speaker and Davy felt convicted so he threw a stick into the fire and he accepted Jesus into his heart and it was an emotional experience or they'll talk about uh Phil 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 was an alcoholic Phil's dad was an alcoholic Phil was an addict and so he had to have a rebirth and he had to be reborn to kind of kick that addiction to the curb and get a fresh start in life and then Americans will talk about born again Christians as the religious nut jobs that want to control everything in America right and that's how born again kit tends to get talked about. But John chapter three says to us, no, 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 born again isn't just for a certain type of person. Born again's for everyone. Born again's for everyone. 
in a very Mandalorian sense, born again is the way. <laughs> okay? Born again is the way. Nicodemus was educated, wealthy, and well-connected. Pharisees in the first century never numbered more than 6,000 men at any given time. They had taken a vow to obey all the commandments all the time. It would be like today saying, I teach at Harvard or Yale. There's only a few Americans that teach at an Ivy League school, and you say that in a group of people, and automatically they're like, whoa, look at you, Mr. Ivy League, right? In the first century, to be a Pharisee elicited that kind of response. People looked up to them. It was a position of status and honor. If anyone could impress God, it would be Nicodemus. And Jesus says to him, nope, you're not even three-quarters of the way there. Nothing you've done to this point counts with God, Nicodemus. You've got to be born again. No matter how good you are, no matter how put together you are, you've got to be born again. That's who it's for, everyone. Well, where's it from? Where's it from? John 3.3 says this, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So to see God means you've entered God's kingdom. They're connected. Um, the Pharisees, along with all of the Jews of the first century, many of them, they believed that the kingdom was in the future. So if you're seeing God's activity, if you're seeing the kingdom, it means the future is now breaking into your life. And so for those of you that like time travel, I've got good news for you. <laughs> when you're born again, it's like your future is now crashing into your life and exploding into your life now. The future you is coming into the now you to make the now you more like the future you. And that's an amazing thing. What does it do? What does it do? Jesus is borrowing right out of Ezekiel chapter 36. In um, Ezekiel chapter 36 says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you'll no longer worship idols. And I'll give you a new heart and I'll put a what? New spirit in you. I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you'll follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Ezekiel was talking about a one day, someday in the future thing when God would come and indwell people. That's the water and the spirit. It's talking about the same thing, not two different things, one thing. Water and spirit, God coming in and dwelling people, being born again, giving new life. Well, let's unpack that metaphor if we can. We've had several babies born in this church family recently, okay? Um, what does a baby do to have to be born? <laughs> Good answer, <coughs> nothing. <laughs> Little Micah Hicks, who arrived a few weeks ago, it's not like somebody was having to go, okay, Micah, here's, here's the deal. You're about to be born, okay? And here's what you need to do. We've got a checklist for you. <laughs> you need to, right? No. Being born is something that happened to him. And then all of a sudden, he's born, okay? So a baby doesn't do anything to be born. God makes people born again. God does this. A baby can see, hear, and feel his or her environment, but God gives that ability to sense and perceive. That's the whole seeing the kingdom means entering the kingdom part that Jesus is talking about. And then 
Another thing about babies is that babies are named by their parents, which means that God is giving them a new identity. Um, we see this in the first part of John's gospel. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. They're reborn. There's that word again. Not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So that's what the new birth does. It's an ability to see God, and it's a new identity. In America, our sense of identity and self-worth tends to come from what you do. You earn your identity in America. Reach deep down inside, express yourself, work hard, show us what you got, and identity is what you achieve. But with God, identity is received. It's given. God is your father. He names you. And in gratitude for what he's done for you, you lose yourself in service to him. And in doing so, you find your true self. You become who you are. Aren't you tired of being enslaved to someone else's definition of valuable? Aren't you tired of that? Well, how does it come? How does it come? Okay? That's the whole repent and belief part. That's the whole repent and belief part. Moses and the snake in numbers. So what's going on? So the Israelites were wandering in the desert. You've heard this story a gazillion times. And when they're in the desert, they do what just God's people always tend to do. They murmur and complain. <laughs> and they're like, wah, wah, wah. This stinks. You stink. Moses stinks. We were better off in Egypt. Wah, 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 wah. And so God, feeling a little crotchety, sends some poisonous snakes, and the snakes start biting the Israelites. And they're getting sick, and they're dying. And Moses, uh, God decides, oh, goodness, this is bad. So he tells Moses, go uh, cast a bronze snake and put it, attach it to the pole, lift the pole, and anyone who looks up at this snake on the pole will be healed. By the way, if you've ever wondered why medicine has that as a symbol, that's where they got it from, okay? Right? And so on the snake on the pole, now the thing that's revolutionary is that in this ancient world, you always had to do something. So you had to touch the snake. The snake had to be tapping you three times. Like there was all this hocus pocus stuff about it. But all the Israelites had to do was what? Look, which meant God did everything. God did everything, okay? Repent and believe. When we repent and believe, we're showing evidence of that new birth in us. We repent of trying to save ourselves. God, I'm done doing things to control you. I'm done doing things to look good in other people's eyes. I'm done trying to make my life work. I'm done. I know there's sin not just out there but in me. I repent. And then it's this belief that Jesus is enough. I run into so many Americans who have a faith of Jesus and. Well, yeah, Jesus is great and he's given me, but I also have to. And there's this long have to list. No, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Again, how much effort does, it, does a baby make to be born? None. Oh, you're getting this. This is good. In the ancient world of no hospitals, no epidurals, no doctors, 10-pound babies, no C-sections, are you with me? Birth is risky for the mom. 
Birth is really painful for the mom. Interestingly, Jesus identifies with a woman in labor. He says, it'll be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she's brought a new baby into the world. Jesus is talking about the hour in this verse. And in John's gospel, anytime you see the word hour, he's talking about his death on the cross. And he's saying, my death on the cross is like a woman giving birth. It's costing me everything. It's painful to me, but it gives you life. See what Jesus is saying here? So how do you know new birth has happened to you? Well, that's the end of John's gospel. New birth always results in a changed life. Um, this Nicodemus that you just saw in this video clip, at the end of Jesus' ministry, he's crucified, he dies on a cross, and we're told this, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought about 75 pounds of perfumed anointment made from mirth and aloes. In the ancient world, in the ancient world, women and slaves prepared a body for death. So here's an educated, well-connected, respected member of the community doing something normally a woman or a slave does. And he's coming to get Jesus' body. Everyone's going to know. You can't do this secretly, okay? Um, I look at Jesus' life, and there's these moments that make sense for you to kind of hop on the Jesus train. And one of those moments is after he feeds the 5,000, and everybody's like, Woo! Jesus, you're awesome. This is incredible. Like a woo, you know, hop on the Jesus train at that point. After Jesus dies on the cross, it doesn't really look like the Jesus train is working well. Right? Right? That's the moment where you kind of like, well, let's see what how happens. Let's see how this plays out. Like Nicodemus goes for the body. That's faith. That's evidence of new birth right in front of our eyes at the end of John's gospel. Nicodemus has changed. He no longer seems to care what everyone else thinks of him. He's free. He's free. Are you tired of trying to control God? Are you tired of trying to look good and convince everyone else in your life that you got it together? Aren't you tired? Maybe today's not a bad day to be reborn. Maybe it's not. So let me ask a few questions of you and me. And these are ways to kind of measure new birth in your life. What are you experiencing in your life right now? What are the prevailing emotions that you have that occur with frequency? What are you feeling most of the time, all the time? And then what do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about yourself? What do you believe God is doing or has done for you? And then, what do you believe God is like? So, in order to make this as practical as I can, I have to remind you that feelings 
are not reality, but they're important. Feelings are not reality, but they're important. Feelings are telling you what you believe to be true or real. And if your dominant feelings are things like anxiety and worry and fear and a desire to be in control, you might want to spend some time unpacking what the beliefs are that are behind those feelings, okay? Americans rarely do the hard work of figuring out why they feel what they feel. And again, here's what I'm not saying. You shouldn't ever worry. You shouldn't ever feel anxiety. You shouldn't ever. No, I'm not saying that, okay? So don't walk out those doors, you know, having Max Vanderpool condemn you. That's not the point of today, okay? But those feelings are an opportunity to, to kind of unpack and unearth, like, what's going on? So to go back to my conference days, I felt like I was not enough. Was God telling me that? Come on, you seem smart people. Was God telling me that? No. I was believing something that wasn't true, and it was producing the fruit of blah feelings in my life. See how this works? So feelings are not reality, but they matter. Secondly, being born again is about a new and better life and a new and better identity. When we have a gospel-based identity, we don't feel superior to people whose lives are train wrecks, and we don't feel inferior to people who seem to have it all together. We know we're loved and treasured, period. And that certainty isn't based on the ups and downs of our performance. This gospel-based identity allows us to humbly serve and love other people the rest of our lives. Um, another way to take it home is simply to look to Jesus. The Israelites had to do what to the pole? They had to look. Just look. Look to Jesus. Um, God does the work. That's the good news of the gospel. God saves. You don't save yourself. God saves you. God rescues you. God gives you a new identity. God forms this stuff in you. And you just are open and receive and accept, okay? Repent and believe. These are the signs of new birth. Repentance, I'll no longer build my life on anything other than God. Belief, what Jesus did is enough. Trust me, when I see God on judgment day, whatever that's going to be like, and God, if, if I have this conversation with God and God's like, all right, Max, let's look at your life. And I'm going to be like, please don't. <laughs> please don't. Please don't look at me. Look at him. That's all I got. And I hope that's enough. You know what God will say? Well, actually, it is. <laughs> it is. It's enough, okay? Now, for those of you on the other side of born again, it might be helpful for you to add some other verb tenses to that, okay? Not just I was saved, but I am being saved. I will be saved. See how that works? It's all of that together. I have been saved, I am being saved, I will be saved. Let God tell you who you are. Let God tell you what your future is. Let God produce the fruit of faith in your life. We're going to give you an opportunity to walk away today with some Easter bulbs. Okay? An, a, an Easter bulb for your family. Now, let me tell you about Easter bulbs and how they work. If you put that Easter bulb on your counter and you leave it there for the next 12 months, what's going to happen? 
nothing. <laughs> but if you put it in the ground and give it some water and it has some sunlight and some soil nutrients and it's got the right conditions, what will happen? Ah, Jesus had some things to, talk, to say when it came to soil and seed, didn't he? Okay, so again, the Easter bulb doesn't do anything, <laughs> but in the right conditions, life is born, okay? So I'm going to invite our musicians to come up. We've got some things to sing. You've got something to walk away with. But again, today, today's not a bad day to be reborn. And for those of you that have been on the faith train a long time, a long time, maybe today's a good day to be preaching the gospel to yourself, right? Uh, the good news is that when you are in Christ Jesus, you are no longer condemned, you are forgiven, you are beloved. The scripture says that you are now God's treasure. In other words, God has a treasure that is like the precious, most precious thing for him. And that's the redeemed people. Like, that's an amazing thing to me.